Welcome to the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Heyman, and I invite you to join us as we talk candidly about the emotional challenges of living with type 1 diabetes. We'll give you actionable strategies to help you face these challenges head on, reduce your stress, and most importantly, live a full life without letting diabetes get in the way. Hi, welcome to the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. I'm Dr. Mark Heyman. This is the final episode of our six-part series looking at ways to overcome the biggest mental health challenges of living with type 1 diabetes. On this episode, we're talking about how the financial and logistical challenges of type 1 diabetes can affect your mental health. There's no doubt about it. Type 1 diabetes is expensive. The cost of insulin alone is astronomical, and it gets even worse as you add in the cost of using diabetes technology. Thinking about money is stressful, especially when it can mean life or death. The stress doesn't go away even if you have good insurance. The time and energy it takes to fight with your insurance company over what they'll pay for can be exhausting and make you feel helpless. My guest today is Heather Cobb. Heather has lived with type 1 diabetes for 16 years. The stress of dealing with the U.S. healthcare system actually pushed Heather to move to Portugal, where she has affordable access to insulin. In her free time, Heather loves to surf and spend time with her dog, Sophie. Heather is also working on a book right now talking about her journey with type 1 diabetes across different countries, cultures, and health systems. Here's my conversation with Heather. Heather, thank you so much for joining me here today. I really appreciate it. Of course. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I, I really want to hear about your experience living with diabetes. I know that you have had some big challenges in your life and that you've, you've taken some interesting measures to overcome them. And so why don't we start off by just hearing about um, your diagnosis and your experience with diagnosis and living, what's, what was living with diabetes like, especially in the beginning? Okay, sure. Um, so I was diagnosed at the age of 19. Um, I was a college sophomore um, down at Texas A&M. And for a couple of weeks, I was just feeling very fatigued, had the classic symptoms, lost a lot of weight. Um, I was also having like heavy bleeding as well. I don't know if that's ever happened to other females in their initial diagnosis, but having a lot of heavy bleeding that wouldn't stop, um, lost all the weight, drinking a lot of water. Um, and I, of course, was like young and active. So I was like, oh, I'm not going to go to the doctor. This is probably just a virus that will pass. And I just ignored it like many young people do. Um, And then my parents actually came to visit me one weekend to go to a football game down there. My dad took one look at me and he was just like, you look terrible. We're taking you to the hospital. So I was like, okay. Uh, So I went to the hospital, told the nurse my symptoms and straight out the gate, she was like, oh, this sounds like diabetes. And that took me by surprise a bit because in my experience and understanding, diabetes was something that happened later in life to people who were older maybe overweight, things like that. I didn't know much about type 1 diabetes at all. Um, And it wasn't until the doctor came in and said, yeah, you have late onset adult diabetes, um, that I was like, wow, okay. And my whole world changed. Uh, So it was two or three days in the hospital, learning the ropes of all the injections and checking blood sugars and trying to get like a quick download of how to balance your diet and insulin levels and all of those things. And of course, that was devastating to a 19-year-old who wanted to just live freely and eat whatever they wanted and like have the crazy schedule and go to parties and things like that. So for the first year, I would say it was pretty tough. 
like trying to adjust and learn what I could eat and what I couldn't and what worked for me. I do feel like it's a trial and error um, for a while. You have to learn what works for you because it's different for everybody. But got the hang of it um, and then continued on uh, after that first year. So tell me a little bit about what it was like having a big diagnosed with diabetes in college and especially the emotional challenges of having to adjust to this new lifestyle while you're 19. Yeah, I felt like such an outsider. I feel like when you're young and like in college and like in a new place, you're trying to make new friends and like find things that you have in common with people. And I was the only person I knew with type 1 diabetes and it seemed like such a big kind of off-putting thing. Like nobody likes to be around needles, right? Like all of that stuff. Um, so it was a bit isolating at first. And of course, like all of the advice that I got from my doctors at the time were like, you know, have a really strict schedule eat super healthy, don't drink alcohol, all of these things. And so I was like, wow, okay, <laughs> I guess I shouldn't be going to parties. So I stopped being social for a while. Like I would hang out with my friends during the day. And then when it came to like party time at night, I would just kind of like go home because I didn't want to, you know, drink or be tempted to drink or be like the so like sober person in the room. I didn't want to okay. always be like the type one diabetic designated driver. <laughs> Uh, but after a while, like I met someone who had type 1 diabetes, and it was the first time I had ever interacted with someone else who had it. Um, and they had an insulin pump. We met at the gym, and I was just kind of relating how I felt um, and like the struggles that I was having with it and how I felt like my college lifestyle had to be curtailed and all of that. Um, and he was like, no, you can totally still drink and like you have flexibility in what you can do and all that stuff. And it wasn't until I actually talked to another person with type 1 diabetes and their lived experience where I was like, oh, I can relax a little bit. Like I have more freedom than like what my healthcare professionals are telling me right now. And from there, I started to open up more and like started spending more time out and discovered that I can absolutely enjoy some beers and you know, a few late nights and things like that. So that helped yeah. me like start to feel like I could fit back in in college yeah. again. Yeah, I'm envisioning like going down the road and then all of a sudden, like y'all, all of a sudden you just had to stop because like your, your life just kind of stops and you're like, I can't, I, I, all these, I can't, I can't do this. I can't drink. I can't yeah. party. I can't, I can't do the things that I love to do. And so you kind of, you live this like the, the cult life of college sleep during the day. And then at night you let, live the life of, what your perception was of someone with diabetes, what you have to be doing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. One thing that definitely helped me through all of that was exercise. I'm really mm -hmm. grateful that like I grew up like as an athlete, I was always playing soccer, I was running, going to the gym. So that kind of adjustment in lifestyle wasn't an adjustment for me, it was something that was already there. And I mm -hmm. noticed um, like with more and more practice and more and more time with diabetes that exercise was like the key for me in terms of measuring, like monitoring my blood sugar and keeping it, you know, in check and everything and just feeling better physically and mentally and everything. Exercise was like the biggest outlet for me and still is to this day. So I know that after college, uh, life with diabetes got more challenging for you. Um, and I want to hear a little bit about kind of the, the challenges that you faced after you left college. Yeah. So honestly, for a while, like the hardest part for a while was just that first year after diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And then I really got the hang of things. I got used to the disease. I felt like a certain level of acceptance um, with all of it. And, but I also kind of had like a little bit of a, oh, like diabetes isn't going to hold me back thing. Mm -hmm. Like I'm going to go full bore. 
Um, and I had really wanted to travel and get out of Texas. So I applied for the Peace Corps. And at first it was like a, a no because type one diabetes is such a big liability. And like at the time I didn't understand that. Um, actually having done Peace Corps now and like completing the two years of service, I'm like, oh, of course they hesitated to take me. <laughs> but yeah, so like for a long time, I was just like, okay, it is what it is. I have to limit the choices that I make in terms of health insurance, right? Like I have to make sure that I have health insurance coverage. Um, so that was always like my number one priority. But I was like, okay, what can I do that provides me with like a decent level of healthcare coverage? Um, and also allows me to volunteer and travel internationally. So went and did the Peace Corps after that, um, went to study and always took on opportunities that revolved around healthcare, like furthering my education, jobs, everything, never making sure I had any time off or in between jobs because that would mean like time without health insurance. But I felt like even though my choices were limited by health insurance, I was still able to find myself in really amazing situations, both like academically and professionally for a long time. Um, and it wasn't until I moved to San Francisco in 2015 and started working in the kind of like health startup environment with tons of like mergers and acquisitions. Um, so constant layoffs, constant switches of insurance providers, benefits plans, things like that. And also in the era of the high deductible health plan, like all of these things started coming together and it start to feel, started to feel like type 1 diabetes became a second full-time job because okay. I was having to navigate so much in terms of the insurance requirements that I had to jump through all the time like okay we switched insurance providers so now you have to find new doctors to get the new prescriptions to be sent to the pharmacy oh the insulin that you've been using this whole time is not covered by this insurer so now you have to switch and just all of the time that it takes for all of those steps to happen um, and those things aren't laid out to you by the insurance provider ahead of time either you have to figure that out the hard way and like there's a lot of panic and anxiety around that because insulin is what keeps you alive every day, right? So yeah. <laughs> when you have all of those barriers, just the bureaucratic barriers to get there and the time barriers, that was one level of stress. Um, and then the cost started to become a big level of stress as well. Yeah. You had this anxiety around, I have to make sure that I have health insurance. Everyone with diabetes can relate to. We have no other option. If you don't have health insurance, it's going to be really, really challenging. But you were able to yeah. find really creative ways to deal with that and really and be able to have to get around that. But then when it came to the actual health insurance itself, it became really challenging for you. And I yeah. want to hear about one, you know, you talked a little bit about how challenging it was, but also how did that impact your stress and anxiety on a day-to-day -day basis of living with diabetes? And how, how much headspace did that take up for you? Oh, so much. <laughs> so much, so much. I mean... Diabetes already takes up a lot of headspace, right? Like we have to make so many different decisions every day. Like everything's kind of centered around our magic blood sugar number and like diet and like how we're feeling based on our blood sugars and all of these things. So, and all that stuff was like sort of autopilot for me for a while and I felt fine with that. But then you have all the other normal life things like work, which can obviously stress people out, relationships, which can stress people out, like just general life demands. 
And then, you know, when you think you're doing what you're supposed to do, what seems to be the only way, which is to get health insurance from an employer that is supposed to provide decent coverage, and you feel like you've done the best you can to get that, and then to still just be told, no, 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 there's another hurdle, there's another step, your copay's gone up by this much, um, if you want to use the insulin that you've used every day to keep yourself alive and that you're used to and can't anymore, you're going to have to pay 500 to $1,000 if you want to keep using what you've been using. Otherwise, you're going to have to go through this weeks-long process of switching to a new insulin, and we don't know how that's going to work for you. Mm-hmm. There was just too many barriers, and it really started to, to stress me out. But I... I'm lucky that in my career, I've been able to travel internationally quite a bit. And I was able to travel to other places where I could just walk into a pharmacy and be like, hey, do you have insulin? Like, do you have Novolog or Atlantis? And they're like, yes, we do. I'm like, great. Can I purchase it? And they're like, yes, you can. Okay. Okay. (laughs) how much is it? And they're like, oh, we're sorry. It's going to be very expensive for you because you're not a citizen of this country. And I say, okay, well, how much is this going to cost? And they're like, well, it's going to be about $50 for a one month supply. And I like, for me, $50 for a one month supply, like that's cheaper than what my co-pays were with insurance often in the United States. And it was a 10 minute transaction of walking into a pharmacy of being like, do you have what I need to stay alive every day? And they're like, yes, we do. And we're going to apologize to you for how expensive it is. But they have no idea how difficult it was in the United States. That is in the end how I ended up mitigating my stress (laughs) that was placed on me in terms of cost and access in the U.S. I I left the U.S. and I moved to, to Portugal and in the EU, I'm able to get everything I need so much more cheaply and easily. And that weight being lifted off my shoulders is like something I can't really describe in words. Like, Can you I try? Yeah. I mean, I've like, I've left pharmacies multiple times. Um, once in Paris, the very first time I bought insulin over the counter in Paris and like the woman like made this apology to me, you know, And she was just like, oh, we don't understand that. Like insulin is like oxygen to people with type 1 diabetes. And that was the first time I had ever even had like recognition from a pharmacy about how important this like magic elixir was to my life. (laughs) So that felt really nice. Um, And then, yeah, I just left the pharmacy and I started crying because it was the first time that like I was able to access this life support because insulin is life support. It was the first time I was ever able to access it so freely and so easily as a guest in another country, as opposed to all of the hurdles that were placed in front of me and my system back home. And it really kind of shook my worldview a little bit about healthcare and access and basic human rights. (laughs) Yeah. You know, we hear hear so much about diabetes holding people back. And you think about people thinking, well, I feel like I can't go for a bike ride, or I feel like I can't go to a bar and have a drink, or I feel like I can't do all of these things because I have diabetes. But it's interesting to hear from you that 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 feeling of being trapped or or being held back wasn't around the management of diabetes, but it was around the structure and the logistics of actually getting healthcare. And once you were able to get that healthcare and get, get uh, easily and inexpensively that felt free in a, yeah. in, a, in a really interesting way. Yeah. And it, but it's a double-edged sword though. Like everything is right. <laughs> so yeah. like, like I feel such immense relief here. Like my body literally feels so much more at ease and so much less stress. 
But at the same time, I feel, to put it bluntly, anger (laughs) about the state of affairs in the United States. Um, And the fact that we have so many resources compared to so many of these other countries, and we've still made it nearly impossible for so many people to access insulin if they don't have decent health insurance coverage. And it's gotten to the point where many people have died over the past four or five years because simply because of the cost. Um, And that's something that absolutely should not be happening in the richest country in the world. You know, like there's no excuse. Like we have examples here in Portugal and France and Spain and El Salvador and Costa Rica and all of these countries that I've traveled to that are able to make this stuff much more readily available. Um, So I don't understand what the holdup is in the United States. I understand that there are a lot of structural difficulties there and a lot of special interests and all these things, but there comes to a point where you see people dying of something that's wildly preventable, easily preventable. Um, And to see the way that insulin prices have been so heavily exploited, um, especially in the past 20 years, it's just makes me angry. So like, I'm happy here. I'm angry about being, you know, it's complicated. And certainly there are some really awful consequences. However, for everybody who lives in this system, that stress just an added burden. Yeah, for sure. I'm curious, aside from all of the the financial and logistical challenges that you've had, how has it been just living with diabetes and managing diabetes on a day-to-day basis in terms of, you know, living your life and being able to do things that you enjoy? How have you been doing with that before you came to Portugal? Yeah, before Portugal, I had kind of resigned myself to only ever using like the classic glucometer, like testing of the blood by pricking the fingers, pulling up the mm-hmm. drop of blood, because that was the cheapest way, um, okay. the easiest way. Um, and it got to the point where I was like ordering my test strips off of Amazon because I thought that was easier and essentially cheaper than having to deal with all of the hoops of going to the pharmacy and getting it approved through insurance and all of those things. So I had kind of like taken to finding other ways to accessing what I need. Um, Mm. If I was going to be traveling um, to a different country, I would buy my insulin there and bring it back with me. Um, I would try to stockpile as much as I could. So, and that's not easy with the like supply limits that insurance companies put on you, right? Because they're really strict about like what's a 30 day supply and what isn't. I never even entertained the idea of getting an insulin pump or a Mm -hmm. CBM because they were often not covered. And there are already some psychological barriers there for me anyways about like wearing something on your body and all that stuff. As someone who's really active and enjoys to exercise and be in the water, I didn't like the idea of something being on my body. Mm -hmm. And then when you hear the price tag of like, oh, this insulin pump is going to be like $1,000, that's an easy no for me. (laughs) So so yeah, I definitely didn't... um, try to go all in in terms of managing my diabetes with like the diligence that I do here in Portugal. Mm -hmm. And I would just try to compensate for that by exercising as much as possible, eating well, um, and just doing what I could to take the best care of myself given my constraints. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And what would you, and we say the constraints are really just financial and logistical and supplies. 
yeah, financial and logistical and supplies and just this mindset of being reserved to like, okay, like there's only so much energy I want to dump into accessing stuff because I know there's always little ways or you can find like a coupon here or a rebate there, but there's only so much time that I wanted to put into managing diabetes and navigating it with the health system in the U.S. already took so much. So I just kind of had my barrier and stopped there. Do you think you'll ever move back to the United States? <sighs> Man, that's tricky. Oh, and one thing I do want to add to about managing diabetes is here in Portugal, I am on a CGM. I finally, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I love it. Um, I'm on the Freestyle Libre here and I get it super easily. Um, it's 53 euro per sensor here. Okay. But when I get my Portuguese social security number, which should be happening hopefully relatively soon, it will cost me seven euro a sensor and my insulin will be free. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And like the, all that stuff is available to me, like as someone who immigrated here, like with no special hoops or hurdles to jump through other than paying taxes, which they are a bit higher here, but I'm okay with that because insulin is available. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, in terms of like moving back to the United States, it's a, it's a question that I've wrestled with a lot since COVID, mm -hmm. um, before COVID, it was like a, no, like I love it here. Um, I can easily visit the United States. People in the U S can come and visit me. And I was very comfortable with that being able to like hop on a plane and, and do those things so I could get my quality time with friends and family. COVID has obviously changed that um, and kind of shifted my thinking a little bit because, ah, you know, who would have thought that like airline travel was going to go away, but it has, and then we don't know what's going to happen next. And so that kind of separation from the friends and family who I love very much and not knowing how feasible it's going to be for me to see them so often, um, given how this thing is going, has sort of made me shift a little bit. Um, but I don't know. I have a hard time going back. Like now that I know the relief that I can feel in like a healthcare system here and like how it feels to live somewhere where healthcare is viewed as a human right, as opposed to a privilege, that's a, that's a nice thing. And it's hard to work myself up to the idea of, okay, if I'm going to go back to the United States, I have to make sure I have a well-paying job with employer-sponsored health coverage. I have to make sure whoever this insurance provider is, is going to provide me with everything I need. And like, there's just so many hurdles in terms of administrative loopholes with insurance. Yeah. Especially when you see how easy it is for you right now. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really hard. So I I still wrestle. I'm conflicted with that question still. Time will tell. So one question that I ask everyone on this podcast is, what is the best piece of advice that you've gotten on how to make sure the your emotional aspects of type one diabetes don't hold you back? I was thinking about that question for a while, and I think it goes back. My grandfather would always say, like, well, you know, it is what it is. And I think that's, it sounds so simple and kind of dismissive almost, but I think it really is more along the lines of like acceptance. Mm -hmm. um, like this disease isn't going to go away, even though everybody says there's going to be a cure in five years. Like <laughs> I've been saying that since I was diagnosed 16 years ago. <laughs> um, so yeah, for me, it was like a level of acceptance. Um, the needles become your best friend because they're the mm -hmm. things that keep you alive. Um, 
And yeah, you're going to have to make a lot of adjustments in life because of type 1 diabetes, but they don't all have to be negative. Um, and even the things that can maybe feel negative, like feeling forced like out of your own country because of the anxiety that you faced. Um, I mean, I wound up in Portugal. <laughs> like, yeah. I can't complain about that, you know? So yeah, just acceptance and just finding like silver linings, even in the stuff that's hard and not beating yourself up too much because it's really easy to kind of have that self-criticism voice being like, oh, you're not doing well enough or you're not eating well enough or like this or that. Um, just to kind of like love yourself through it and that mistakes happen. And even if you do everything right, stuff is still going to go wrong sometimes, mm -hmm. but just do the next best thing that you can. I love it. I, I actually was reading something recently about acceptance. And I think that we have a misconception about what that means. People think acceptance means I have to love it. I have to love diabetes. I have to love that these things that I'm being forced to accept. And I heard a better definition is actually acceptance is just the act of not resisting. Yeah, I like that. Of not fighting. Because if you fight diabetes, you can end up losing. Yeah, 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 it's true. Both, both, both literally and figuratively. But by not resisting, you have a lot more freedom and a lot more flexibility. And yeah. so I, I, I love that advice, but I always think it's important to, to really frame it in a way that accepting doesn't mean that you want it. Accepting doesn't mean that you love it. It just means that you're not going to be fighting it and resisting it. Because that, that helps you to live your life, whether it's in Portugal or in San Francisco or wherever you are. Yeah, it's true. And I think uh, like an interesting note on that is like, yes, accept diabetes, but you don't have to accept the health system in the United States. <laughs> and I think we all need to do a great job of trying to advocate for better and at least price caps on insulin at a state level or something. So resist with like these health system policies, but accept the diabetes because all you can yeah. do is yeah. <laughs> and I think that and I think that resistance can be a really great benefit for everyone's mental health. Both the act of being an advocate and also hopefully making change so that we see that and things become less stressful. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Awesome, Heather. Well, I really appreciate your time and it was a great talking to you. Um, and I wish you the best of luck in Portugal. Hey, thank you so much, Mark. I really appreciate the opportunity to share the story and, and to have the outlet. So thank you. As I was talking to Heather, one thing I was thinking about is when you get diagnosed with diabetes, you get all kinds of education of how to count carbs, take insulin, check your blood sugar. We talk about diabetes being a full-time job, and most of the training we get around that is how to deal with the work of diabetes, which is really actually important. The problem is, is we don't get any kind of education or any kind of support around dealing with the logistics of diabetes, dealing with the challenges and the stresses that the healthcare system, especially in the United States, puts upon people with diabetes. So even if you're dealing with the basics of diabetes really well, you're managing your blood sugars and they're in good range and you're feeling good about diabetes management, the logistics of diabetes and dealing with the stress of health insurance companies and doctors and the cost can really become infuriating. And the most infuriating part of it is much of this is out of our control. We don't have much control over our ability to deal with what health insurance we have or how much things cost or how to get a referral to the doctor that you need to see. A lot of those things are completely out of our control and that can make us feel really, really helpless. 
those feelings of helplessness just put an added stress on living with diabetes. And something we need to talk about how those stresses really impact the day-to-day lives of people with diabetes, especially when it just seems like everything for them is going well, but the logistics of it are overwhelming. And we need to talk about what the challenges are, how, what the impact they have on people with diabetes, and what we can do about them as to help reduce that stress. Heather talked about three of the big stresses that she has in her life around managing the logistics of it. And I want to dive a little bit deeper into those things and and talk about the impact that they have on people's lives and then spend some time at the end talking about what you can do to, to overcome some of those barriers and hopefully reduce some of that stress. The first thing Heather talked about was health insurance. And I think there are a couple aspects of health insurance. One is If you don't have health insurance as a person with type 1 diabetes, life is going to be hard. With health insurance, there's lots of things to think about. But one is you're always thinking a step ahead in terms of your job. In the United States, health insurance is employer-sponsored for the most part. And so what job you have really dictates the type of insurance you have. So having to have health insurance and having to always think about what health insurance does this job offer before making a move can make people feel really trapped. It can make them feel like they're being held back by diabetes because they can't do certain things because it doesn't offer health insurance. It's hard to take six months off and travel the world. It's hard to uh, take a break and write a book because you're always having to think about how am I going to pay for my medical care while I am in the situation where health insurance is not readily available to me. Heather talked about how this affected her life when she was thinking about going into the Peace Corps and making sure that she would be covered under their health plan. It also impacted the jobs that she took and having to always navigate and think ahead about what sort of health insurance those jobs would offer her. That really wasn't added stress. It made her feel sometimes like she couldn't do the things that she wanted to do. She did some pretty cool things, but to always have to be thinking about that as your primary concern can become overwhelming and make diabetes really stressful. I talk to a lot of young people in my practice who tell me that their future career options are limited because they feel like they have to have a good job that offers health insurance and that there's no option. And I can't disagree with them. That is something that they have to be thinking about. But it really makes them feel like diabetes is holding them back from living their dreams because that is the thing that's on the forefront of their mind. The fact that that has to be at the forefront of their mind makes them really resentful of diabetes and all of the trappings that come along with living with diabetes. Not too long ago, I spent an afternoon, I'm not kidding you, probably three hours on the telephone with my health insurance company. They had refused to cover my CGM. And this is something they've been paying for for several years without a problem. And all of a sudden, their policy changed. And I had to spend a long time on the phone with them, basically arguing with them, trying to get them to cover my CGM. Eventually, it it worked out and I got what I needed. But it was four hours of my life that I'll never get back. And also four hours of aggravation and stress, not only about whether or not I get covered for my medical device, but also 
I had other things to be doing. And the last thing that I wanted to be doing was sitting on the phone with my health insurance company. Trying to figure out how to navigate health insurance can be mind-boggling. One thing we hear about all the time is people who are taking a certain insulin. And then all of a sudden, their health insurance company tells them that that insulin is no longer covered on the formulary. And they have to change insulins or they have to go through a really long appeal process to get their health insurance company to cover the insulin that they know works for them. This type of thing can cause a lot of stress and anxiety for folks. And the biggest challenge is there's oftentimes nothing that you can do about it. You had no control that the formula was going to change. You can only beg and plead and try to get the health insurance company to give you what you need, but it's never easy. Another thing that's really stressful about the logistics of diabetes is trying to navigate the healthcare system, whether that's trying to make an appointment with the doctor or getting a referral to a specialist or dealing with medical device companies and distributors and trying to get your supplies sent to you in a timely manner. I think that there's a lot that we can say about this, but suffice to say that the time that we oftentimes have to spend on the phone and dealing with the logistics of the healthcare system and navigating it to get what we need um, is an added stress that people living with diabetes were probably never prepared for. And again, I'm not sure that anybody has really mastered the process of navigating the healthcare system. It is unbelievably complicated and it makes it even more stressful when you're dealing with a chronic illness because there are services that you need and there are supplies that you need to survive on a daily basis and to manage your diabetes well. And the healthcare system becomes an added burden that nobody with diabetes wants to deal with and most people just dread. And then there's the big one that Heather really talked about a lot, and that is the cost of diabetes, especially the cost of insulin and also the cost of diabetes supplies like insulin pumps and CGMs, which for some people are really unaffordable. But the cost of insulin, I think, is the most infuriating and the most stressful because insulin is that magic elixir that we need to keep us alive. And to think about how much it costs here in the United States is just really frustrating and really sad. But it can also make you feel really hopeless if you don't have the resources to buy the life-saving insulin that you need. There's a lot more we can say about the cost of insulin, but for now, I will just say that it is a cause for stress and a cause for worry and a cause for anxiety for way too many people who live with diabetes. And then there's also the cost of technology. We talk about how amazing insulin pumps are and how amazing continuous glucose monitors are. But the reality is, is that for many people, they're just unaffordable. A lot of times doctors and other healthcare professionals will push this technology because it's awesome and it really does help people manage diabetes better. But when people get pushed to do things that they can't afford or that that make them uh, feel stressed financially, that can add a huge burden to people trying to figure out how to best manage diabetes given some pretty significant financial constraints. As you can see, the logistics of living with diabetes are stressful 
and something that we just don't talk enough about and talk about how this added burden and added stress impacts people's quality of life with diabetes. It's just something else we have to think about, not only our blood sugars and our um insulin doses and all of those things, but also how are we going to pay for it? How are we going to navigate it? How am I going to get a job that will have health insurance that will take care of my needs? And that is just a huge added burden and one that oftentimes is hidden from people in our lives. I really wish I could tell you that I had some magic solution or psychological trick help you make the logistics of diabetes easier and less stressful. Unfortunately, I don't, but I want to give you a couple thoughts and tips. If you're really adventurous, you can do what Heather did and move out of this country. Uh, Heather moved to Portugal where she talks about how she gets insulin for free and she has access to a really inexpensive CGM, all because Portugal has government-sponsored health insurance. Now, I recognize that moving out of the country or even going to a different country to get your supplies may be a little extreme, and I'm by no means recommending that you do that. But you can see how people have gone to some pretty extreme measures to try to deal with some of these logistical challenges. And people like Heather, she's moved to Portugal and she is living a great life there, but it has taken a huge burden off of her. But for those of you who can't move, uh, myself included, a couple of things that I would suggest that you do. The first is to lean on other people for best practices. First of all, for support, but also to help get information about what they've done to deal with these challenges. Everyone with diabetes, at least in the US, has dealt with an insurance company. Everyone has dealt with the healthcare system. And many of us have tips and tricks that we've learned throughout the years about how to best navigate these systems. So I'd really encourage you to lean on and learn from other people with diabetes about how they have best tackled these challenges. And hopefully that can make it a little bit easier for you. We oftentimes feel so helpless with the insurance companies that we're dealing with and with the healthcare system. And while a lot of it is out of our hands, we do have the ability to advocate, to advocate for ourselves, to advocate for other people with diabetes, and to make our voice heard and hopefully make a difference. If nothing else, advocating for yourself and for people with diabetes can empower you and make you feel like you are doing something to change the system. We all want to feel that kind of hope and that kind of confidence, and change won't happen unless we advocate for ourselves and what we need. Finally, I know it can be hard to find the silver lining in all of the, of the logistical challenges of living with diabetes, but I really liked what Heather had to say about that, that finding the silver lining in these challenges can be a lifesaver. So I would really encourage you, especially when things get stressful, to look for the silver lining, no matter how thin that silver lining may be. It can help you deal with the stress that the logistics of diabetes is no doubt going to bring. Our goal here is to do everything that we can to make sure that diabetes doesn't hold us back. And so finding ways to lean, lean on other people for support and best practices, advocate for yourself so that you know you're doing everything that you can to make sure diabetes doesn't hold you back. I always like hearing from you, and I would love to hear about how the financial and logistical challenges of type 1 diabetes have affected your mental health. 
to get in touch, go to my website at thediabetespsychologist.com or send me an email to mark at thediabetespsychologist.com. That does it for today's episode of the Diabetes Psychologist podcast. This was also the final episode of our six-part series. Producing this series has been so much fun, I'm planning to make it an ongoing podcast. If you have any topics you'd like me to address or people you'd like to hear from in future episodes, please let me know. Also, if you've enjoyed this series, I would really appreciate it if you would post a review on iTunes. I'm really looking forward to talking to you all again really soon. Thanks so much for listening. For more resources, you can visit www.thediabetespsychologist.com and be sure to sign up for the email list for access to exclusive content. I'm Dr. Mark Heyman, and tune in next time for the latest episode of the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. Thank you.